But first, our top story hits the employment report for September, and John keeps here with the latest. John, thanks for joining us this morning. And what are we jumping into when we're looking at the latest unemployment numbers? Well, the truck transportation sector dropped 5,000 jobs in October compared to September. Um, it is uh, now stands at 1,578,600 jobs. And what's really more important is that the last four months we've been, because, you know, there have been revisions, of course. We were down 6,900 jobs and down 30,700 jobs. That was really the impact of yellow. Then we were up 13,400 jobs, which looked like BLS had maybe overestimated yellow. And now we're down 5,000 jobs. Uh, so the net is... Um, uh, the net is, uh, oh yeah, thirty thousand six hundred jobs down since the recent, since the high that was in May, which was uh, over one point six million jobs. So, I mean, this really isn't shocking. We know there's a freight recession. Uh, we also know that companies still continue to hire. There are always always openings, but there obviously are fewer jobs out there. The warehouse sector took another really big hit. Uh, they are over. They were down eleven, more than eleven thousand jobs since the prior month. I haven't done the numbers yet on where they are compared to their high. But, you know, their high was sometime during the pandemic. Uh, companies were building warehouses like crazy. They were paying top dollar for space, uh, hiring people left and right. That obviously is done now. And the total number of jobs in, in warehouse, it'll be in my story today, uh, but uh, it's way down from its peak. John, so when we're talking about this, are we going to be maybe seeing any correlation with these warehouse numbers dropping significantly, maybe down the line, like two, three months, even even a quarter or two, starting to see maybe our warehouse vacancy rates climb back up simply because people aren't using the warehouse space. There's not people to staff them. So people aren't using that space anymore. I've never done the work on correlating available space and the number of workers, but boy, that just seems like a very obvious link. It, it's hard to imagine a scenario where the two of them would not have some degree of correlation. And John, we're looking at the latest report. What was the overall results for the unemployment rate? It was been hovering around 3.8 for the longest time. Do we see any changes? Yeah, I, I, I didn't look at the rate yet. Um, the, the total number of jobs gained was 150,000, which is kind of in line with projections. What you don't know is what was the impact from um, what was the impact from the auto strike and how many jobs that cost. I mean, 150,000 job gain in the first of all, the Fed is trying to slow that number. Okay, remember, if you remember last month it was up 300,000. Now I've already seen a little bit of uh, online screaming about some uh, some revisions, some downward revisions from prior months. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody said the BLS should be really named the BS. If you can get, I'm sure you can figure out what that reference is. Um, but um, so there were definitely some downward revisions. Uh, but right now it's, it's up 150,000, but it's up 150,000 over a revised September number. So the revisions are still in that, that growth. It's interesting to see how this is changing and will be interesting to see how our holiday season impacts that as well. John, let's move on to our second top story this morning because we've got a, a pretty important story to talk about with Berkshire Hathaway being sued by the original owners of Pilot. Can you tell us what's going on there? Well, there's lots of news and you know our slogan here, Freightways, if it's news, it's news to us. But anyway, um, what happened there uh, is that in the Delaware, Delaware Chancery Court, the Haslam family, which was the founding family of Pilot, sued Berkshire Hathaway. So Berkshire Hathaway earlier this year completed earlier agreed upon acquisition of a second big stake in Pilot, which took them to control at 80%. Uh, this question whether there was a determination that the last 20% was going to be sold. Uh, but what the Haslam's are, are arguing is that, and I guess I haven't digested the entire suit, 
what the Haslam's are arguing is that the uh, that the that the Berkshire Hathaway people changed accounting status or changed changed the accounting procedure uh, at Pilot because they're in control now, and that that would eventually reduce the value of the Haslam stake that's that remains. Uh, so that really, you know, as far as I can tell, that really is the, the heart of the lawsuit that uh, the Haslam's are saying in their suit that that uh, should not that 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 the parties had agreed upon an accounting process that would continue through the life of this deal, uh, and that the that the Berkshire Hathaway accounting staff, of financial people have changed that, and that is the basis for the lawsuit. So we will have a story on FreightWaves.com later today on that. And John, when looking at the situation, I always have to ask, is there any precedence for this where we've seen a similar situation in the past? Well, uh, probably I can't imagine there's never been a lawsuit over accounting practices. But, um, you know, this this the pilot deal was was always kind of interesting. As, as a journalist, it was killing me that Travel Centers of America was was going private in its acquisition by BP because they always had some great data in their quarterly earnings on diesel sales and diesel margins. Well, that, of course, went away when uh, when uh, TA disappeared into, into BP. Now, with the Berkshire Hathaway earnings, there are you know there is some public information about about Pilot that's available. There's even more data in there now. The one thing I saw is that the, the sale price, the original sale price, was ten times EBITDA uh, on, um, on on Pilot, and that that was actually the formula used for the second tranche that Berkshire Hathaway bought. Uh, so we're going to get a little uh, peek behind the curtain here on what had been a privately held company and the largest truck stop operator in America. So, John, any indication on where the suit is being um, pursued and if there's any state versus federal statutes here that could be impacted by this? It's in Delaware Chancery Court. I assume that probably both companies are uh, incorporated in Delaware, and that's why that case is taking place there. And, John, while we have you here, I always have to ask the latest in the energy sector and what's happening with oil. Well, uh, you know, it's been down, down, down. It took a pretty nice uh a shot, yeah, pretty, a pretty nice move upward yesterday. Uh, I'm trying to think if I can find one little nugget. Uh, I will tell you that that, that the, the one of the most interesting pieces of data right now is, is out of Iran. Their production is up a lot. The U.S. production is up a lot. And when you put those two together, it pretty much offsets a lot of the OPEC plus cuts uh, that have been put into place. This is why in July it seemed uh, inevitable that we were going to hit $100 Brent. We never did hit $100 Brent. Uh, it's at about 90 right now, so it's not that far away. Uh, but the supply side is looking pretty healthy between the U.S. and Brazil and Iran and Guyana and Nigeria is also, you know, Nigeria, the which is always a mess, has actually added quite a bit of production. So the supply side, from the perspective of a consumer, like a like a truck driver, on the crude side is right now looking pretty good. John, same thing for the state of the diesel markets right now. I know in your DOE article this week, you talked a little bit about how we saw that sudden spike from the Israel-Palestine conflict, and now it's kind of settled down. Is that something that we can expect to see continue throughout the rest of the week? Well, there's really, there's really no reason for the Israel-Hamas uh, conflict to have an impact on oil in terms of supply. There is no supply that has been affected. The spike was always driven by the concern that there might be a uh, you know an expansion of the war into Iran. You know, it's Iranian Hamas is an Iranian proxy, Hezbollah is an Iranian proxy. That there might be an Israeli attack on Iran, uh, maybe on the oil fields. Maybe the Iranians would retaliate by closing the Strait of Hormuz, which is the uh, the kind of gateway out of the Persian Gulf into the broader world market. That, that fear was always there, understandable. Price went up. 
But nothing has expanded now. I mean, right now, the, the focus on the Israelis is, is how deep do they go into Gaza, much less, uh, much less what they do in Iran. So I don't think the market is really concerned about that kind of expansion uh, of what's going on in Israel that would create even more tightness in the oil market. John Kingston, our editor-at-large, going from employment to legal issues over to oil and diesel, geopolitical, everything all in one. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Looking forward to your next episode of Drilling Deep. Yeah, it's today. That's today, and it's all about cybersecurity. So uh, please join. Please tune in, and we'll see you all in Chattanooga. There you go. A very timely topic, and we'll see you next week, John. Right now, we're going to go over to the wall. We've got a first carrier update this morning. Thomas Lawson is here with Johnny Gilbert.